Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to languages for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Masks of Nirafatep in the Egypt chapter. Uh, when we last left our investigators, they were having some interesting research and application uh, of that knowledge in certain places. Uh, so we're going to dive back into it and, uh, and just kind of get to introductions. So to my right. This is Tiffany, and I play Maeve O'Shea, and I have some nom noms to read. Yes, you do. You and uh, your ever-present Jack Doyle are going to be uh, experiencing some rather deep literary um, adventures this evening, which so should be, I'm sure, completely normal and nothing strange will happen at all. Uh, to uh, to your right. This is Morgan. I play Lillian Lane, and I have um, some serious reservations about um, animal sacrifices. Yes, you've all of a sudden become Buddhist, um, which you know happens to the best of us, I suppose, uh, at the end of the table. This is Jake. I'll be playing Jack Doyle, and I don't see what the big deal is. It's just a book. What's the worst that could happen? Right. Absolutely. And nothing. No harm ever came from reading a book. Right? Absolutely not. No. Very good. Uh, to Mr. Doyle's right. This is Lonnie. I am playing Adelzar, and uh, I am cursing the person who I talked to in my introduction every moment of the day. Yes, he's laughing all the way to the bank. To Mr. Zars right. Uh, this is James. I'll be playing Dr. Sigmund Tuttenbach. And um, this this is what we do now, apparently. Uh, this is who we are with the cops and whatnot. Yeah, it it does seem to be. And uh, last one, most certainly not least. Uh, this is Alex. We'll be playing Sam Perron, and I don't see what the big deal is. I mean, it's just a cow, right? Uh, so we, when we raise the curtain tonight, we are going to peer back into the secret vault inside the Cairo Museum, where Maeve O'Shea has joined Dr. Ali Kafur, and with their steadfast guard, Jack Doyle, they are beginning to peer into a very important and powerful series of scrolls. Collective air in the vault at the time of entry was a little cold. Clouded your mind a little bit, you think, Jack. It's the differences in temperature that seem to be getting they're just a little strange. As the minutes wear on and the two of them continue to pour over this very large series of scrolls, you can't shake the fact that your ears continue to pick up the that sound again. The voices. Whether it's a marketplace or a group of people. It's like people are yelling but muffled. At a distance. Can I uh, wander around a little bit? 
the vault area? Yeah. yeah. It's not very big. It's big enough to wander around, though. Um, Dr. Kafur uh, makes an offhand mention just to be careful about touching anything. Of course, of course. It's, uh, I'll try to see if I can panel like the area as clearer voices or if you use the museum as a uh, the walk around the, mu- the museum vault as a dowsing rod of sorts you continue to come back to the table where the scrolls are and, and I don't want to interrupt anybody but can I like lean down yeah oh, certainly the voices do get louder but yet there's still in the back of your ears, a, a series of sharp whispers. Do either of you hear that? Do I hear anything? You don't seem to. Dr. Kafour looks at you. You're what? Yeah, I'm just gonna look at Jack with a raised eyebrow. I don't, just like muffled whispers. It's just, it's like, I, I know it's crazy, but it sounds like it gets louder when I get over here by the sea scrolls. And to be perfectly honest with you, Mr. Doyle, I don't like the the term crazy. Huh. You may not be wrong, though. Um, would not be the first person who is potentially disturbed by the presence of powerful mythos texts. Just, uh, maybe I'll just stand over here. Of course. Now, <clears throat> uh, Mr. O'Shea, could, could you tell me exactly what we are looking for? What do you mean? I mean, the information contained within these series of scrolls is dense, and it is rather lengthy. Is there something specific that you are looking for? Um, beyond references to the Black Pharaoh? No, I thought we were going to do research on the other half of this tablet that would help protect all of Egypt. Yes, yes, the binding tablet. May I see it? Sure. He picks it up in his hand and looks over the stone. It truly was broken. You see here, he runs his in pinky finger along one of the surfaces. The chisel, it struck it right there and didn't come apart by any happenstance. Someone broke it which means they knew what they were looking for. I need to find the other half of this and figure out what we need to do. Very well. You said before you were a quick study. I am. I am willing to give you the opportunity to skim over these scrolls if you would like. Dr. Kafour kind of backs away a little bit. I have done some reading in them, but... uh, I must admit, I have I have not done a full reading of the text yet. I, I fear. Well, I don't know that he, I should either, but I need to figure out, need to get us leverage to get rid of these cults once and for all. Well, then I will be here. Perhaps Mr. Doyle and I can prepare for anything that might come through. Okay. So you are going to make a skim roll. It's a 50 out of 90. I can spend five luck. Okay. To make it a 45. Okay. 
you begin delving into the scrolls in search of a specific incantation which will allow you to find perhaps the methodology and the process for recreating the other half. And as you do, you get the intense feeling that the room has a thousand eyes. One by one, they pop into your consciousness. You see them at the periphery. You can feel them on you. I'll try and uh, push that back because I'm sure it's whatever's waiting to come out that the doctor has talked about. Jack, make me a listen roll. That is a hard success, 19 under 41. You begin to hear a tapping. Like a spoon against a metal pipe. It's brief at first. But you hear it progressively get a little louder. There's a section of the vault over here that uh, has a little bit more in the metals than the others. Artifacts recovered from any number of expeditions seem to be coming from this specific corner. Although between the racks here it's hard to discern specifically which way it's coming as you start to run into the Doppler effect. Go through the the um, shelves. You go through the shelves very carefully and something moves behind the shelf from left to right. Your vision tracks it immediately. Whatever it is, it's fast and dark. My gun is in my hand. Mm-hmm. Doctor? You hear from him from across the room. What is it, Mr. Doyle? Is there anything in this room alive other than us? There shouldn't be. He steps closer. Get my torch out. He looks at your gun. You're not planning on firing that in here, are you? I'm not planning on it. I should hope not. You hear more tapping, this time now behind you. The doctor whirls. They're coming. They're coming through. Let's get to the center of the room. He nods. You see the doctor for Kafur take something out. He takes a something out from under his shirt. It's a very wide necklace. It's got a big sunburst pattern in it. And it's adorned with what looks like a very oddly shaped star. There's a fiery eye in the middle of it. Once you return to the center of the room, you start feeling that same feeling Miss O'Shea had. Complete and being completely and totally watched. Not just one set of eyes or five, but... In the darkness beyond the torchlight of the vault, there are a sea of eyes staring back at you. So, uh, Doctor, what's uh, what's exactly coming through? The text, this, the scrolls here, they're not meant, they were never meant to be read. They were transposed by the hand of a madman. They were etched down under this goat skin with the intent that It would call out through the ether to the elders, to those that exist beyond the wall of sleep. And every time she reads a new glyph, 
discerns a new understanding of what lays within there, another eye stares back at her. There's a deep rumble in the vault. It feels like being inside a thundercloud. And so, Jay, I'd like you to make me a power roll, and I'm going to place you at disadvantage with the hand of fate. Oh, somebody voted against me? God damn. So that was 49 out of 83. And then I got to roll another 10. That's a 1. So that would normally be a 19. So you wouldn't get the 19, you get the right. 49. Okay. Oh, okay. You can continue to read. You feel almost as if the Ankh itself is creating a, a sort of funnel for you where some would have an issue with having to go through and discern each glyph and each text and pick the older versions of Arabic back and forth, the Ankh begins to open as a channel to this wider knowledge. And you begin to get the understanding just at the edge of your perception that you are staring into an abyss of knowledge. And you're not quite certain that your feet are firm anymore. I need to find the information I need to find. <laughs> so I will, like, if I have to, like, grip the table harder. Jack, your torch dims. Not because it's low. Shadows are getting deeper. They're getting closer to the table. Can I see like out of the corner of my eye where that protection symbol was on the table. Yeah, it's on a piece of cloth not too far from you. Okay. Okay, because I want to keep that in mind too. Mm -hmm. So, Mr. Doyle, why don't you give me a spot hidden roll? Uh, 4799. So that's a hard success. You see it finally not that you want to but your brain finally connects with the darkness you see a wall of heads floating in the darkness there large small gargantuan each with a set of eyes and the wall shimmers and floats there amongst the darkness. The eyes catch your gaze and each one, each head is someone you know, a former partner, a past friend, a church goer, your mother, and you can hear them now in your ears whispering that same kind of cacophony of sound that you heard when you woke this morning the two match and you roll sandy you're welcome that is uh, 48 under 60 Jack, I take five sanity from you. Oh, God. You now roll intelligence. Why do I have to be smart? <laughs> uh, 66 under 90. Mm. I succeeded. 
the role you don't want to succeed on, you That's succeeded. Right. Yeah. So, while that is going on, put, we'll put just the lightest of pin in that for a moment. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like riveted. Oh my god, I'm going to pee. <laughs> Why would you do that? Miss O'Shea? Yes? I would like you to roll me sanity now. Aww. We want that. 57 out of 57. So now I gotta roll in because I'm smart no, too. No, you're just rolling sanity. Oh. But unfortunately... Okay. Here we go. Alright, Miss O'Shea. Lose 10 sanity. Oh. Okay. That's also a failure. 91 out of 90. That is okay. Jack? I'm going to have you make a couple of die rolls for me, okay? People that are cracking out books, that's not good. Roll me 1d10. 7. Jack, you become overwhelmed with the feeling that all of these eyes are looking at Maeve. And you feel like the best thing to do is to get their attention on you. You feel like not so much being a show-off, but you feel like she just needs more time to complete what she's doing. And if they interrupt her, all of this is for naught. And so you're going to do something to get the attention back on yourself during this wonderful bout of madness that you're falling into. And so the thing that you do is get up on the table. And normally during bouts of madness and call of Cthulhu, the keeper has direct control of the character. Although I do not appreciate that sort of uh, gesture. And so I will allow you a bit of creative license here. Tell me what foolhardy act Doyle, Jack Doyle will do. I think the uh, perfect thing for Jack Doyle to do in a situation like this is to start firing wildly at uh, the darkness. <laughs> the darkness. Hey! Okay. You begin firing inside the vault. Oh, Jesus. We're all going to be <laughs> deaf. I'll get back to you in a minute. Speaking of darkness, outside the safe house, Sam, you've seen the cow collapse now. And if with mm-hmm. time potentially running short, you realize you have to begin the ritual. Yes. And so, um, well, so there's, I'm being yelled at right now. You are. Like that's happening. So I'm going to take a beat and look over my shoulder at Lillian, who I'm assuming is standing there looking very mad at me. Oh, I think so. She, if if her eyes could kill you, Sam, what you're doing you, you spent a lot of time talking about Maeve and how she was a danger to people and, and the magic that she was doing. And here you are picking up black magic. What I must, because to me, black magic includes sacrificing animals or people. And, and here you are doing that very same thing in, in the name of protection. It, it's not right. And you do this, you may not go down, you, you do this, there's no turning back. There's a line. You have more than your share of life blessings and comforts thanks to the lives of animals sacrificed for your benefit. 
Lillian, the fact that you didn't kill them yourself does not absolve you of your part in their treatment. I like eating steak just as much as the next person, but what you're in, what you're saying is, is that this animal is going to die a horrific death in the name of protection. What if your thing fails? What if you lose your weapon? What if you just friggin' die? Oh, I shouldn't have. Let me rephrase that. We're not going to use the word friggin'. <laughs> Sorry. What if you just... Uh, it could all be for naught. And, and this poor animal, who could have died probably humanely to serve meat to people, or be somebody's pet. Do you think every animal that you've eaten died gently? The deer that gets their leg blown off by a shotgun and careens on a hillside face first, or the lovely red boots that you're wearing? But you're performing a, a magical a, a, a ritual in the middle of the courtyard for your benefit, and the animal's going to die horrifically. Between the fire vampire, the ghouls, the disgusting mouth puddle, and the flying nightmares, Simon survived at the Miser House. We are ill-equipped, outmatched, and totally unprepared. And I would like to and, even the odds. And I'm and I'm I'm letting you know that you you go down this path that that that's a line. Like, and if you don't realize that then you should not be performing this. So beg, cheat, lie, steal, pummel, and kill, but don't you dare offer an animal in reference to a higher power in effort to gain its favor. But everything else is okay. I'm saying sacrificing things. The only reason I don't intend to offer this creature up for eating post-sacrifice is because I can only assume that the forces at work here are at the very least unclean. I'm not even saying... I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the way you're going to kill this animal. It is wrong. Well, right now, right now it's asleep, so it's not going to feel a thing. If you keep talking, you might wake it up. I don't agree with this, and I, I, I think you're crossing the line, and you do what you need to do. Look, maybe you're on a moral crusade, combating evil in the name of good. Suffice to say, my motivation is grounded in different values. So next time I pick up a magical item and want to do something with it, you say nothing to me about it. Because your line right here is that you get to do black magic to what? Help the group? No, I, I don't want to hear another word about anybody. I don't want to hear another word about Maeve doing anything. I, I don't I care what Maeve this. does. I care that she doesn't tell us what she's doing. I care that we don't know what she knows. I care that we don't know what's in her books. Those are the things that concern me because there's secrets that can save our lives. Right, but you already talked about her being dangerous. I want to hear, I don't even want to hear about another word about it anymore. And I'm going to turn around and walk about it and walk into the house. Tantramatic divas. Mike, if possible, I'd like to have been listening from the I balcony think it would be above. for you to not hear Fantastic. Him and her going back and forth. I would love to be standing there sipping a cocktail and watching as if it was a play put on for my own voyeuristic pleasures. Do I walk by you when I'm going back in the house? Okay, that's No, I don't think so. He's up on a balcony. <laughs> and who's to say it's not for your voyeuristic pleasure, really? most things are, I think. Okay. So, I guess then, uh, Doctor, are you planning on interjecting or just watching it go down? I'm gonna watch it go down, because both of them are clearly defining boundaries, uh, borders for themselves, and they don't need a third person to come in and tell them what to do. Not that they would heed my advice if I were to give it. So, the Doc is just going to watch it go down and make notes about the psychology of his companions. Very well. Um, so, Sam, give us your approach. The beast is here, the time is right, the blade is ready. I will begin by, I guess, citing any incantations I have to cite, and 
doing what I need to do. I've already sharpened the blade. The animal is hopefully still out. Uh, I will check to make sure it's still breathing. It seems to be. Okay. Then I think just to make sure, now that it's nice and down, I'll uh, take an auto success on that ride roll to restrain it. Yep. <laughs> In case it wakes up. That's fair. You restrain it. You kind of continue to, um, as you bind it, you kind of continue to get back to that meditative state. The binding actually helps. It helps focus you. It helps focus your mind for what's coming next. As far as my feelings about the animal, I mean, right now, generally, anything I would kill for food is a suitable offering. Um, that's the that's the fight I'm having right now. Is I can't will I can't I know that I can't willfully feed this creature to another person because I don't know what's passing through it. And generally, like when you're making an offering of life energy, it's it's reciprocal. This is not. This is just it's just being taken. It's not giving anything back to us except power, which is you know it's a different lever to pull, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't consider the act of killing animal morally charged necessarily. These are all kind of the things I'm going through in my head while I'm to keep me focused because in in the end, like this is a ceremonious offering, whether or not it would be something I would traditionally participate in. All right. So I rely on you know I, re- I rely on my my past. I rely on what I'm most familiar with and the 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 pieces of that that keep this keep my nerves in in check. And Otto, at this point, you've you've vacated the area. I'm not sticking around for some pagan ritual. Fair enough. All right, so a couple of systematic things, I guess. Then, um, for this incantation, you are going to have to sacrifice five pow. Yeah. Um, before you do that, though, I'm going to have you make a pow roll for the casting itself. Okay. So go ahead and roll power for me. That is a hard success, 26 out of 55. Excellent. So now you spend five pow. Yeah, that's just gone, right? Like forever. Systematically, you sacrifice it. It is. It is done. So you begin the incantation. And you begin it at no more than a whisper. It starts low and seems to move up through a few octaves until you are breathlessly chanting and encanting. And it doesn't really it doesn't really change your perspective, at least at first. But when the machete crosses the gap between your body and and the sacrifice, and you make that first of seven incisions, and you cut deep, you can feel the resistance of the flesh slightly more than a human skin and by the second cross that you make wide along the belly of this cow you feel the tension ease just a bit more and you pay attention to the symbol there in your hand you can see it there on the etching you make the third strong movement down with the machete and you feel the hot blood trickle over your hand and arm now. You see the sinew 
and the organs begin to spill from this massive beast. And it gives a lone and weak cry, barely perceptible above the blood pounding in your ears. The fourth and fifth marks come easily, almost eagerly, as the blade speeds up. And the sixth makes this beautiful, almost elegant swoop towards the top of the beast's back. And you can feel it there. You can feel the raw mystical power aligning with the blade. And in a victorious sacred potato, the last cut is pure victory as a harmonic sound echoes in your ears and the deed is done. I will take a deep breath and just to make sure that there is uh, no more suffering to be had, I will make sure that it's that the, the bull is dispatched. You go to dispatch the bull and you hear a whisper behind you. It's in a tongue of your mother's which you understand it. And you hear it say, no child, let me do it. Like from behind me? Mm-hmm. I look over my shoulder. You see it there, this spirit from the island. It walks up to you, beautiful hair, caramel colored skin. I will uh, kind of fold the blade back away from, you know, the, the grip that I have. Hmm. And I put my head down. I take a step back. This I uh, humbly offer. Doctor? Oh, yes. I would like you to make me a sanity roll. I would love to. As a ghostly apparition joins Sam. The doc has, for his part, if he has, for everything he can see of this ritual, he has been watching with rapt fascination and uh, taking notes what he has been saying, the symbols he has been carving, if he can see them. Like, if there's enough light that Sam has naturally for him to see above from above. Certainly. Ooh, I failed. Sweet. 65 versus over 52. Um, so watching this ritual is going to cost you three sanity. Ouch. Okay. Sam, she joins you at your side. You feel a friendly, if not cold, hand at your back. And she takes the blade and seems to almost guide your hand in with hers. And she says to you, let us do it together. And at this point, uh, I feel like I'm kind of returning to center. So I will uh, follow her lead. But I, I keep my eyes low. Like I'm not looking up, I'm not looking upon her. Certainly. The two of you drive the blade in its new heightened state into this sacrifice and you feel something you felt before you feel the life force leave a body it travels up the blade and then out into the ether to whichever destination it may go next and what grips you about this in the moment is the frightening laughter <laughs> and happiness and the spirit beside you and I'm going to play an empowered hand of fate against you. 
and I'm going to upgrade the sanity die. Gimme. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Very good. Lose six points of sanity. Make me an intelligence test. So what does an extreme success do on that roll? Um, it means you have a bout of madness. Yeah. It's go time. But I'm not alone. No, that's true, which means the bout of madness will be real time. So the sacrifice is exactly what you needed. And you come to this realization after the third or fourth time you try to clean the blade off from this cow's blood. There was freedom for you in this killing. And truly, many of the many of the times before that you've been in the moment killing, you realize how freeing it has been. Life forces are just another tether to this world. There are so many more that need to be alleviated. You know what? You have a point. Certainly. In, in many cases, death is kind of the only release from certain heroic, her, or horrific conditions, I guess. Sure. Um, so, you know, figures of death can be friendly sorts. You know, death is, is a very natural, very important part of every person's existence. And it's a transition. It's not an ending, really. Is he reasoning this out loud? Or is, like, is this all going on internally? I mean, I, I don't imagine I wouldn't be saying it. Okay. I'm just curious. Doctor, I won't make you make a psychology roll for it. You don't need one. Nope. That's serial killer territory. Yep. Sam, I proceed to come downstairs now as quickly as my hip will help or as allow. You see him there in front of the cow. I slowly approach. Sam. Doctor, is the spirit still here? No, the spirit's gone. Okay. Doctor, I kind of slowly turn. I saw everything that happened. Was it effective? I, I look at the blade. Has anything changed about it? Yeah, there's um, there's almost a moon glow to it now. There's a light sheen. I suppose there's only way to find out. I'm going to have to uh, dispose of this carcass. So if you want to stay in chat, you can help me work. I will stay to talk, but I am not... I am not a veterinarian, and I find myself unusually squeamish about the idea of um, playing about inside of a cow. I understand. You can keep me company. I could probably use it. It is concerning to me, Sam, these things you are saying, do you know? About what? I mean, I said a lot here. Uh, yeah, I, I, in fact, I'm kind of drawing a blank on the last thing you said, but I know that it was concerning. Oh, which part? The, about death being considered a very natural, important part of every person's experience? <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that whole I am the Reaper territory. <laughs> so, I find myself a tad concerned about the territory which you find yourself in. We've talked about personifications of death before. This isn't new territory for us. No, it is not, but that does not mean you get to decide what death is and is not, and it's definitely not you. Do you understand? I understand, as a doctor, a physical doctor, and a surgeon many times, that 
there is a certain capacity for a man to unbelieve himself to be divine. We are not, and we do not get to decide things like that. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying, Sam? I'm not passing judgment on anyone. Good. I'm not, I'm not, uh, not on, and I'm not on a crusade, I'm not on some sort of moral journey here. You do realize that the sacrifice here, Sam, was was not the cow, right? You are aware of that. Hmm? The sacrifice of the cow was, that was merely a metaphor. What you really sacrificed was a part of yourself, Sam. A part that I'm afraid that you might find that you will come to miss at some point will find very difficult to regain once it is gone. I do not want that. I have no ill towards you, and I do not believe any of my companions do either. Um, underneath it all, there have many, you know, conflicts and such, but none of us want to see each other harmed. And that is, I believe, most true of me. But I don't want you to go down a path where we can no longer distinguish between the good and the bad. You once oh, you asked too? me, Sam, might I remind you that you once asked me, where was the boundary? Where was the dividing line? How did we know? I think this might be it. But you have to decide that for yourself, Sam. I am not passing judgment. Which line are we talking about? Are we talking about, are we talking about the I'm butchering this creature, by the way, while we're talking, while he's talking. Yeah, yeah Doc has kind of turned 90 degrees and is actually looking out into the darkness of the courtyard. Doc, um, do you know what this reminds you of? Hmm. It reminds you of swift meat packing. Yeah. The sounds, the smells. Hmm. Except it's a little less hygienic. Yeah. There's a difference between surgery, which is a delicate ballet of you know, sewing and cutting is this, this is, this is hacking and chopping and splattering. And I find it to taste distasteful. I'm, I'm going to go inside, Sam. Think about what we said. Yeah, I'm not really sure what you want me to, uh, what you want me to say, Doctor. Yeah, well, you just, you just go back to butchering. Oh, he's already gone. At the Cairo Museum, as time ticks forward, Eventually, you're, what you're left with, Jack, are empty clips. You remember firing, but when you come to, the torch is out. Behind you, Maeve is clutched over the scrolls, almost like she's huddled on top of them. Dr. Kafur is laying against one of the racks of artifacts. He's wounded. He's been shot. Oh, shit. And you have no memory of what has happened. First, I'll check Maeve. Is she... She seems to be in a state of deep concentration. Her eyes are moving. Her breathing is very shallow. And her eyes are dilated heavily. Wait, um... Go to the doctor, uh, doctor. Did you get them? I, I, I don't know. <coughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Um, here, let me first aid. 
That is 10 under 31. So a hard success. Okay. You bind his wound. You know that the bullet has to come out we need at to get some you, point. We need to get you to a doctor. You don't even know what time it is. For your part, Miss O'Shea, when the murmuring got too loud, you you focused in. You shut everything else out. This series of scrolls are some of the most densely packed mythos texts you've ever read. It could take years to understand them fully. But there is some benefit to your sanity loss. Oh, yeah? Five points of Cthulhu Mythos. Nice. You do come across a spell which talks about creating some sort of powerful mystical ward. It's dangerous. And it's also costly. What's the cost? Life energy. Okay. A person? Like people. Like sacrificing people? Sacrifice would be a ugly term. More a group of people, like a congregation maybe, or a group of like-minded individuals who were willing to Mm -hmm. donate to the cause of empowering this spell. A cult. Okay, great. (laughs) You come across one other spell specifically which seems to have something to do with the black pharaoh okay there's a a spell here which makes a path which one could walk okay to to gain audience ooh okay that doesn't sound good either (laughs) I mean does any of it though (laughs) no never Did I see anything mentioning Yig at all? Since he said it's way to contact elders. And... There is a spell here which you believe is a version of such a working. Okay. Jack, the doctor asks how long you've been here. How long have we... What time is it? Get my watch out. Get your watch out. It's about three in the morning. Hours. I need water. I. We should. Can can she walk? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Maeve. Hmm. We we need to go. Oh, okay. Now help me with the doctor here. We'll take him back. We can take him back to the house. Uh, the doctor can uh, help him. Um. Okay. I'll like roll up everything and make sure it's oh, all. Right and kept safe and then yeah um go help Jack with uh, the doctor to take him to the doctor you seal things up once Dr. Kafour gets outside the vault he locks it and then the three of you hobble back to the safe house sorry you notice something in the um, dim lights of Cairo Jack a very prominent streak of Maeve's hair is white. It's thick as two of your fingers. You know, I'm not going to mention that right now. I think we've been through enough tonight. It's true. And so, the three of you return to the safe house. 
Sam, for your part, you spend a few hours dealing with the butchering, butchering of this animal. Mm -hmm. What are you doing with the pieces? So I've already kind of resigned myself to my bout of madness, and I'm still engaging with it because I feel like I want to. And because I didn't, I didn't try to kill the doctor because I already had someone in mind when it happened. So what I will do is in order to basically, I guess, work through not being in the house and getting yelled at, um, I will take, I'll load as much of the, the meat parts that I can put in a wheelbarrow, well, my, the wheelbarrow I've been using, to basically take it to the dumping ground that I went to before. It's the middle of the night now, right? Yep. So I will take it to the dumping ground and I will transport all 1,600 pounds and as many trips as I have to trip. Then I will clean myself. At that point, I guess I'll figure out where people are. So unless somebody interrupts me, that's what I'm doing. You'll be doing that for several hours. Yep, I imagine. Uh, so the three of you return to the safe house. Are you waking the doctor upon arrival? Yes. Okay. Doctor, you get woken up. I, uh, uh, yes, come come in. Uh, what? We have a patient. Uh, mein Gott, do you know what time it is, Jack? Yes, I know exactly what time it is. Okay, come on. I will get my things and I will beat you downstairs in a moment. Where are my glasses? Yeah, then he grabs his bag and, uh, you know, whatever bottle he was almost done with and brings it downstairs. Uh, you see an Egyptian man, uh, fairly well-tailored suit, um, well-maintained hair. He's probably mid to late 40s. Uh, he looks like, for the most part, he would be a, a learned man. At least that's the appearance that he gives off. Uh, and he has a gutshot wound in his shoulder. Well, this is no good. You've come down with a case of bullet. Here, sit down. Um, He's sitting. <laughs> Jack, hold the light here, please. Of course. And, uh, Miss O'Shea, if you could do me the honor of uh, handing me... That and that, thank you. And he begins to, uh, with uh, first he administers a, you know, localized anesthetic as best as he can, gauging whether or not this guy is going to be able to handle the pain of having a bullet removed, or is it all the way gone? Is it all the way through? It is not all the way through. Okay, well, poopy. All right, then. Well, I guess I'm removing a bullet. All right. That is I'm looking at Jack and, or yeah, at Jack and saying, uh, "Give him your flask." I don't believe he can. Let him have a drink. I have a bottle on the table. Go ahead. No, it's no, gin. No, no. I don't believe he can. I do not drink. Ah, oh. Well, this will only take a moment. This one is actually this is not so bad. I have dealt with much worse. Uh, yours was worse, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Plank. Drop the bullet on a plate. And uh, with a quick, well, quick, quick stitches, I got a 34 under 82. Uh, close him up. Yeah. Not that any gunshot wound is routine, but this is pretty direct for you, Doctor. Yeah. At this point, I, you know, I'm not to say I do that in my sleep, but it is three in the morning now, so I have almost done this one in my sleep. If you don't mind, I... I wonder if I could, um... Yes, right this way. Use your couch. 
I actually, I take him to my bed on the first floor and I just have him sleep there. It won't be the first time that I have slept sitting up in a chair. <laughs> he passes out, exhausted utterly. Well, I pull up a chair next to him and put my feet up on the bed next to him, you know, gently to make sure I don't nudge him or anything. And then I also go back to sleep. Um, before you sleep, doctor, mm. you, your brain connects a couple of things. It really is that plink inside the bowl that 45 caliber round. Go back. I, before I sleep, then I stand back up and hobble back down into the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Look in the bowl, pull out the bullet again, look at it. Yep. Are Jack and Maeve still here? I think Maeve probably went to bed. I don't, I don't know about Jack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm still here. No, I'm probably not going to bed I, quite yet. Unless I'm utterly exhausted, then yes, I will. would be. Oh, okay. Then I'm going to bed, yes. All right. I'm, uh, I'm at, at the, the kitchen table drinking and smoking. He's, Doc sits down next to Jack. Jack, is, is this yours? Yes. Did you shoot that man? I believe I did. You believe? Do you not remember? Unfortunately, Doctor, I do not. Hmm. There was uh, an incident. Yeah. I lost myself for a little while. You blacked out? Hmm. I don't know if blackout is quite the right word for it. Hmm. I saw some things. I noticed Miss O'Shea has adopted a new look as well. Yeah, uh, I don't think she knows about that yet. Well, I would not be the first to go pointing it out, believe me, but it is noticeable. Mm -hmm. She will notice sooner or later. Not, not bad on her, actually, but still. That is not what we are here for. I know you didn't mean to, Jack. Don't worry about that. I wasn't expecting what happened there tonight. I wish... I wish I had something to say that would make you feel better about it, but unfortunately, Jack, over the last few weeks, it, um... I am hard-pressed to come up with advice that I think you would find suitable. We cannot expect or make plans for any of these things. Sam is, I fear, losing himself to safety, preparedness. Miss O'Shea clearly has taken a toll on you, my friend. He clinks glasses with him with the bottle that he's holding. We are all soldiers in this war, Jack. You know that soldiers take wounds. Some wounds are not always physical. Yeah. Speaking of Sam... What happened tonight here? Uh, well, Doc uh, quickly spools out exactly what happened. That's quite the tale. Hmm. I tell you, Jack, I saw it out of my own eyes. Every part of it, it was... It is not the most amazing thing, or the most... I will say it is one of the most amazing things I have ever seen, but it is... It is not what concerns me the most. I guess is what I am saying. 
and to say that I am seeing a spirit tonight, and it not being what concerns me the most, you should understand the seriousness of what I'm saying here. Yeah. Sam was... He was drawing some parallels tonight with what he was saying. We should keep an eye on him, Jack. Okay. And remember, every time up to this point that I have said that we should keep an eye on someone. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. I gotta tell you, Doctor, I'm getting real tired of keeping an eye on everyone. I know. We only have so many eyes. You shudder. <laughs> Don't. Don't ever say that again. I'm sorry, Jack. Well, if you can sleep tonight, do so. If you need help sleeping, I can probably give you something. No, I have everything I need right here. Well, good night, Jack. Good night, Doctor. And good night, listeners. So, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of Masks from Another Tip. We hope you've been entertained by it. And uh, we look forward to our next episode. Thank <laughs> you.